This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a genuine pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. It's very likely that we have some watching today for the first time, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Today we want to emphasize the cross of Jesus. Our theme is entitled, The Preaching of the Cross. The Preaching of the Cross. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we are offering a free Bible course. This is a correspondence course. We want you to, to avail yourself of the opportunity to learn more about this course, nor more about what is entailed in the course, and also how to receive it. So in order that you might have that information, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free. 1-877-711-5214. I want to read two verses out of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, and then I'm going to read a passage out of the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. First of all, let me read verses 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now verse 2 of chapter 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Death by crucifixion was not one of the methods of execution used by the Jewish people. They used strangulation, burning, stoning, or beheading. That They left crucifixion to the less civilized nations of the world. De death by crucifixion was of Phoenician origin, but, but it was later adopted by the Romans, and the Romans used it extensively in the first three centuries when they dominated the ancient world. There are literally thousands and thousands of men who've died on crosses. Five centuries before Jesus, Darius the Mede overran Persia, and when the dust had settled, he had, had crucified 3,000 captives of war. Three centuries before Jesus, 
Alexander the Great ravaged the ancient world. And when he took the ancient city of Tyre, Alexander crucified 2,000 people before the city was brought under control. One historian, in describing Titus' conquest of Jerusalem in AD 70, wrote that there was not sufficient wood around Jerusalem to build all of the crosses for Titus. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was different from all others. And in the text that I read from 1 Corinthians, Paul presented two views of the cross that was held by mankind. First of all, there was the absurdity of the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So that was its absurdity. The, the world considers the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ to be rather foolish. And then the second view in verse 18 was the adequacy of the cross. He says, but unto those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so it, it, this is God's power to save the world. The, the hope of the world today is not political. The hope of the world is not to be found in advanced technology. The hope of the world is not to be found in secular education. The hope of the world is not to be found in medicine. The hope of the world is not to be found in philosophy. The hope of the world is the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ shows God's attitude toward sin. And there, there, Jesus would not have, have died on that cross had it not been for sin. Not his, but the sin of the world. You see, God hates sin. God hates all sin. He loves the sinner, but he hates their sin. And he hates sin because it is the transgression of his law. 1 John 3 verse 4 describes that. And God hates sin because it is of Satan himself. Whosoever sinneth is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. 1 John 3 8. In John 8 44, Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil. God hates sin because it is of the devil. And another reason that God hates sin so much and is because it brings eternal ruin to mankind. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In James chapter 1, James wrote, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted, tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But a man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and lust, when it is finished, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And that death that he's talking about in James and also in Romans is not physical death. It's spiritual death, which is the separation of the soul from God. And Jesus Christ died on that cross because of that sin. So the preaching of the cross just shows God's attitude toward sin. But then on the other hand, the preaching of the cross reveals 
the love of God. It reveals that his love is a great love. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says that, he, that his love is a great love. It shows that man cannot be saved without the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Romans 5 and verse 8 says that, that he loved us when we were unlovely. But also the, the preaching of the cross reveals his love in that man cannot be saved by the keeping of laws that are no longer binding upon mankind. That law being the law of Moses, that, that which was given by Moses. In Galatians the third chapter, the question was asked, Wherefore then serveth the law? And the answer given was, It was added because of transgression till the seed shall come. Now the seed that is referred to in Galatians chapter 3 is the seed that is bound up in verse 16, which says, Now to Abraham and his seed with the promises made, he does not say, And the seeds as of many, but as one, and to your seed who is Christ. So when he said the law was to last until the seed was come, that simply means the law was to last until Christ should come. Now look again in Galatians chapter 3. And verse 23, For before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The fact is, men are now justified by their faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 5 and verse 1. And if the law was to last until men would be justified by faith in Christ, then it's logically, we logically conclude we're no longer under the law. But let me continue to read. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. And so the preaching of the cross revealed how much God loved mankind, and he took man out from under the law that required perfection, and he gave us the precious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the preaching of the cross shows that man cannot save himself. There are not enough good things that an individual can do to save himself. Why, in Titus the third chapter in verse 5, the Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Let me read that again. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to His mercy, He has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so the preaching of the cross reveals how much God really loves mankind his love is great. He cannot save us without the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves. There are not enough good things that I could ever do to save myself from the sin that's in my life. That's a matter of God's grace, isn't it? In Ephesians 2 and 8, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For his workmanship created in Christ Jesus on two good works. We're saved by God's grace. That simply means that God gives us what we need rather than what we deserve. That God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He gave His Son as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. But then the preaching of the cross reveals the foolishness of man. Now, I did not say the foolishness of God. I said the foolishness of man. 
There are certain things that God requires that men consider to be foolish. But they're not foolish. It's, it's God's wisdom to save the world. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter eight, uh, chapter 1 rather, and verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Then look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the, mess, the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so the preaching of the cross was to many people a very foolish thing. Then in verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know, it's always been a rather difficult thing for men to condescend to God's ways. And they think they know better than God. But in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and verse 9, the prophet said, My ways are not your ways, neither my thoughts your thoughts, saith the Lord. Before as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. The things that seem foolish to man have been chosen by God to overturn the works of man. Look in verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, that is the wise people, the so-called wise people, the intellectual people, the elite of the world, if you please. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put the ch to shame the things which are mighty. That is, they're mighty in their own estimation. So the things that seem foolish to man have been chosen by God to overturn the works of man. Think about it. Go back to the days of Noah. A and God told Noah to build an ark. Noah had never seen an ark. He didn't even know what an ark looked like. He didn't know how to build an ark until God told him how to build an ark. Building an ark may have seemed foolish to the men of Noah's day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, but old brother Noah just kept on building because, you see, he believed God. Marching around the walls of Jericho may have seemed a very foolish thing to the people on the inside the city of Jericho, but, but the, the God's people just kept on marching around the walls of Jericho and eventually the walls fell down. It, it, at first it seemed a rather foolish thing to, to Naaman to have to go and dip seven times in the river of Jordan. He, he thought, why aren't the rivers here where I live good enough? Water's water. One river should be just as good as another river. But, but you see, God told him to dip seven times in the river Jordan. And that might have seemed foolish not only to Naaman, but to other people. But, but when he did what God told him to do, he was healed. That's a case of where things that God might require seem to be foolish to people. But the foolishness of God 
is so much wiser than men. Things that God's, that seem foolish have been chosen by God to overturn the works of man. Why, it may have seemed foolish to the blind man confronted by Jesus and he was told to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He may have thought that was a foolish thing. Maybe there were people around who thought, this man's been blind all these years and you tell him to go wash? But when he did what seemed to be foolish, he came forth seeing. And there are those who say about certain commands of God, it just doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't seem logical to me. But you see, what God requires doesn't always have to be logical. We do things as a matter of faith on our part. Someone says, I, I just can't understand how a man allowing people to take him, to beat him, and then nail him to a cross could have anything to do with people having their sins forgiven. That's why I said the preaching of the cross reveals the foolishness of man. Man thinks it's foolish. That, listen to Paul again. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who perish. Sometimes there are people who say, well, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me, Brother Lambert, that, that a person has to go down into a, a pool of water and then have some individual immerse that person or bury that person in that water, and then they come up out of that water, and then we say that they've had their sins forgiven. That just doesn't seem logical to me. You remember in the Old Testament when God's people were down in the, in the land of Egypt and they were crying out for deliverance? And God called a man by the name of Moses to go and appear before Pharaoh and to, and to preach a sermon. Let my people go. Let them go. But Pharaoh's heart hardened and he didn't let them go until God brought some plagues on the land. There were ten of those plagues and the last plague was the death of the firstborn of man and beast throughout all of the land of Egypt. And that final plague was the death of the firstborn. And, and in order that his people might be spared from that plague, God instructed his people to go out into the midst of their flock and find a lamb that was a year old without blemish and to take the blood of that animal and put it upon the lintel and the doorpost of their houses. And God's promise was this, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And, and so every home that had blood on the door was spared the death of the firstborn. Now just imagine some of those people, those Egyptians, observing some of those Hebrews putting blood on the outside of their door. Don't you imagine they had a good laugh? They said, look at those foolish people smearing blood all around the door, on the lintel, on the doorpost of their houses. But when that plague came, every house that had blood on the door was spared from that plague. Let me ask you a question. Did that seem logical? 
Is that logical? They just put blood on the door? Did it seem logical that Jesus would anoint somebody's eyes and tell them to go wash that off their eyes and they could see? Does it seem logical that a man who's a leper could be told to go dip seven times in a river, in a certain river, and he would be healed of his leprosy? Did it seem logical that you could go march around a city a certain number of times, blow horns and shout, and the walls of the city fall down? Was there anything logical about that? Is there anything logical in the days of Noah about building an ark when they'd never even seen it rain before? There was no logic to that to the people. You say, well, well, Noah did what he did because God told him. Oh, I see. And you say the walls of Jericho fell down because the people did what God told them. Oh, I see. And Naaman was healed of his leprosy because he, he, he did what God told him to do to be healed of his leprosy. Oh. And the blind man was healed of his blindness because he did what Jesus commanded him to do. And down in the land of Egypt, the, the firstborn didn't die because, you see, the, the head of the family did what God told him to do, put, put, put blood out there on the door. Did it seem logical? No. But they did it because God said to do it. And sometimes what God requires of us doesn't make sense to the non-spiritually minded man. The preaching of the cross re re reveals the foolishness of man. But let me also say that the preaching of the cross reveals the provision of God. Well, what has God provided? Let me mention at least three things that God has provided. First of all, He provided a substitute. Everything that happened to Jesus is something that I deserved. But He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He, by the grace of God, tasted of death for every man. He did it on our behalf. He was our substitute. He was provided as a sin bearer. He bore our sins upon the cross of Calvary, 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. But Jesus also was a ransom. God provided a ransom for our sins. I hope that none of us ever have to have a ransom for our family? But sometimes that happens. Somebody has a member of their family who is abducted and the abductor demands a ransom for their release. And we had been abducted by Satan himself. And the only way that there could be a release is a ransom had to be paid. And Jesus, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, became the ransom. He redeemed us, he ransomed us, as it were, from the clutches of the devil himself. The preaching of the cross reveals the provision of God. But the preaching of the cross 
opens the door to heaven. And heaven's door is open to us because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven's door is closed to those who reject the message of the cross. I would urge you not to reject the message of the cross. Jesus Christ shed His blood to open the door into heaven above. It's a new and a living way according to the apostle in Hebrews chapter 10. Are you ready for that celestial city? When Jesus died, Jesus died to save us. What preachers all over the world need to be doing today, if you will allow me to take Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, I, I'm determined to know nothing among you, say Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What preachers need to be doing is preaching Jesus Christ and His death on that cross and everything that was accomplished by it. Because that's the answer to the sin problem in this world. Are you a Christian? Jesus wants, you to, wants to save you. He loves you. And I would encourage you, if you believe in Jesus, to be willing to repent of your sins to be willing to say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And upon the confession of your faith, have some servant of God baptize you in water, bear you in water for the remission of those sins. If you have never done that, friend, let me encourage you to do it today. The time is short. We have opportunities now that we may not have in the future. I want to encourage you to become a Christian and if you've already done that and you've not been faithful and true to your calling, let me encourage you to get your life right with God as soon as you possibly can. I want to thank you for watching today. And in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. You'll find a, a warm welcome there. And also, right now, without hesitation, pick up the telephone right now and call right now for the free Bible correspondence course. Do it today without hesitation. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you is my prayer. From my very first day at Faulkner, it's been an incredible experience. There's so much to do around campus and I know that I've made friends that will last a lifetime. I love using my iPad in my classes. I feel really prepared for the future. Plus, the use of e-text helps me cut costs on textbooks. At Falk University, we seek to educate the whole person, including mind, spirit, and soul. That's what makes us different from most other universities. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580. 
or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.